All right, this is our seventh lesson in our marriage class. We're covering chapter 11 tonight. You can all breathe a deep sigh of relief. We're just covering one chapter tonight. Uh, we, last couple sessions, we've been doing two chapters at a time and have had to uh, rush pretty quickly to try to get through them. So just one chapter of material tonight. And we're finally talking about love. Eleven chapters in, it's taken us. And now we're finally talking about love. Chapter 11 and chapter 12 are both about love. And uh, they go along with, if, if you look in your notes there, you've got the gospel foundations. That was kind of in the introduction. And then you get into the gospel commitment starting at chapter 5. And so we looked at how confession and forgiveness are crucial in an ongoing way in marriage. Hopefully you've been able to apply that in recent weeks Confess your sin and grant forgiveness or, or be granted forgiveness. Then 7 and 8, we talked about growth and change being our agenda. I like that word because it uh, sets it out there as something we're intending to do. It's our agenda to be growing and changing, not to just sink into a rut, but to always be making progress in our marriage. And then number 3, we'll work together to build a sturdy bond of trust. We covered that one last week. Um, hopefully you're able to take that trust quiz and uh, kind of rate each other without getting in too big of a fight uh, or breaking each other's trust or anything like that. So, uh, but hopefully that was beneficial to you last week. So tonight we get to commitment number four. We will commit to building a relationship of love. Uh, commit to building a relationship of love. Now, as we've been working through this book, we've been trying to keep our finger on the gospel uh, as we go through the book. And that becomes uh, important as we enter these two chapters on love, because it's the gospel that really reveals what love is to us. He opens the chapter with a pretty funny story, I think it's on page 186, of how his relationship with uh, Luella, that's, that's his wife's name, how that began, and he explains how it was love at first sight for him. And I think it was on their first or second date that he had you know, been thinking about telling her that he loves her and uh, kind of building up to this moment. And, uh, and so he finally does. He says, oh, Luella, I love you. And she says, you have no idea what you're talking about. And, and she leaves or something along those lines. So you have to read it. It's kind of fun. Uh, and he confesses she was right of the two of them. Uh, he has, you know, had a lot of learning to do to understand what it meant to say to her, I love you. So out of that story, he brings up a couple of problems, uh, two things. There are many things that we call love that are not actually love. And that's kind of what we'll get into in chapter 11. Uh, you could think of it as either the absence of love or you could think of it as faux love, like fake love. Uh, there are a lot of things that pass as love that are not really love, right? Whether that's warm, fuzzy feelings or just ha having fun together, right? Enjoying spending time together. That's what love is. And uh, obviously, uh, those fall short of the full definition of love. The other thing he says we lack is a clear definition of what love is and what love does. So that's more the positive side of love. What is it actually and how does it act in a marriage? We'll talk briefly about that tonight, but that, that'll be the main uh, part of our study for next week in chapter 12, Lord willing. 
so to ask that question, what is love? Let's just begin by looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John 3, 16. Fun way to remember this, if you want to talk, think about love, two great love verses are referenced at 3.16, also both of them written by John. Uh, one is in, of course, just the Gospel of John, and you probably have that one memorized. 1 John 3.16, however, is another great verse about love. Uh, there, John says this, 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So this is not so much a definition of love, but John's explanation of how it is we even begin to grasp what love is. And it's based on what Jesus has done for us. And we could throw in a number of other uh, love-based gospel verses. Think of Romans 5, 8, for instance. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very related to this verse. The idea is that when we were undeserving, right, we were not doing anything back to God to be worthy of that love, right? God had nothing to gain, <laughs> from this transaction, right? We were, we were his enemies. Uh, he sacrificed, right? So 1 John 3, 16, he laid down his life for us. Um, I mean, sacrifice feels small when you consider the fact that it's Christ laying down his life. It's not like we're just, you know, passing up on, uh, you know, our favorite seats or, or the food we like to eat. No, he's, he's laying down his life for his enemies. And so this becomes, you know, a, a picture for us of what love actually is, how we know what love is. And this is not just meant to be God's kind of love for us, because 1 John 3.16 makes it clear we're then to begin showing that kind of love to our brothers and sisters. And uh, again, that's not a marriage verse specifically, but what sister is closer to me than my wife, right? What sister in Christ what neighbor, you could say, even is closer to me than my wife. And so if I'm going to actually start somewhere with this command, uh, that's where it needs to be in the home and with my spouse. That lay down your life kind of love. One directional. God to us and then us to someone else. It's not about what we get back. So uh, that gives us a beautiful picture of love. You have there a little sneak peek of chapter 12 where Paul Tripp gives us this definition. Uh, i got to get caught up on my PowerPoint here. There it is. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Right? So I willingly... Do what is good for the other person, even sacrificing something that I wanted or something of myself, like Jesus even laying down my life, for the good of somebody else. And it has nothing to do with whether they deserved it, whether I'm going to get anything back from them. Uh, so it's that Christ fills me with his love. I am full enough to give that love to others. So when we marry a person... It's really not what, about what we get out of it, 
Instead, it, we're kind of just saying there's, there's no one else I would rather love, serve, and sacrifice for more than you. <laughs> You're the person I want to give to more than anyone else. You're the person I want to sacrifice for more than anyone else. And that's really what we're saying when we marry someone. Uh, and often, as he's going to explain in this chapter, we kind of get a self-centered perspective of love. Here's how he puts it. We grow blind to, first of all, a lack of love in our marriages. So when, when love isn't actually there, we kind of just get accustomed to it. He uses uh, the illustration of, uh, you know, driving to work every day. You go past the same things and pretty soon you stop noticing them. Somebody rides with you on that course and they're like, oh, wow, what's that building going up over there? And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess I never noticed it. You know, I, I wasn't aware of it. Why? Because I just drive by it every day. I see it every time, you know. And we get accustomed to things. And so we've kind of, we can grow blind to the fact that there's what he calls a love drought in our marriages. Or secondly, there can be faux love. We think we're loving one another, but we're actually just loving what we're getting from one another, right? So we're just loving what we feel from them, which is a form of self-love, awkwardly enough. So... We'll get into that a little bit tonight, too. Actually, that's kind of at the root of both of them, self-love. Just as an example of that, we'll go to John again. Not 1 John, but the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. And this one's really sad. There are some of the rulers of the Jews who, who actually come around in their thinking and they believe Jesus is really the Messiah. But listen to John's... Uh, narration of their perspective in, verse, in John 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but, not, uh, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So a statement like that, they loved the praise of men, who, who are they really loving? In the end, themselves. Yeah, exactly, themselves. So, you know, again, they love in the praise of men. Well, that's fine, but what it's, it's all about them. They want that praise for themselves. And it's tragic because they're not willing to turn to Christ and follow Him because of love of self. And it's a, it's a fake kind of love. And for them, it was really deceptive because here they are in this, these religious positions where they're looked up to for being leaders of religion, Right? And so, how easy would it have been to self-justify in that scenario? Well, I'm, I'm doing a really good thing, and the more people that like me and follow me, they're, then they're going to be more religious. And so, you know, how easy it would have been to be blind to something like that and out of love of self, totally miss God's kind of love through Christ. Um, and so that's what we want to do tonight is just sort of take a moment to pause and reflect on the love in our marriages and is there any of that self-love going on where, where really what I'm doing, even the things maybe that I sacrifice for her, what I'm really thinking about is what I hope to get in return. Or what I really love about her is that she laughs at my jokes. Or what, you know, whatever it is that just ends up turning back on myself. And I, I just like this symbiotic relationship. And so I like what I get from her. Um, and it's not that... 
love is necessarily missing from that, but that is a breeding ground for self-love. And we forget what it is to just love purely like Christ loves, which means nothing back. Like, no matter what kind of day she's having, no matter how she's treated me, that, that like Jesus, I would just still lay down my life for her, right? And I'm not there as much as we need to be. Why? Because we, we love ourselves far more than we realize. So uh, we'll dig into this a little bit uh, tonight to see if we can see if this self-love is going on and, and think through how to guard against that. So he begins by asking this question, what are some indicators of self-love? Uh, or excuse me, lo- a love drought, a love drought, a lack of love in our marriage. And uh, this is easy to miss because that lack of love, we sort of get used to some of these things. We get used to you know, raising our voice at each other. We get used to uh, being rude to one another. We get used to you know, little um, jabs of insults in our conversation. Uh, And those become normal, like they're okay, and that we can still love each other and do those things, right? And it's easy to become blind to that. Think about smell, right? Uh, Every human being has a unique smell signature, right? I don't know this by experience. Uh, Don't worry, I've not been smelling all of you. Um, We know this because of those who have highly tuned senses of smell, dogs, right? And they can distinguish between people based on smell. Maybe you've experienced this a little bit um, in someone's home, right? You go into someone's home and sometimes, it's not like it's a bad smell or anything, but you can walk in and you're like, oh, I know whose home this is. So I was an RA in the college dorm at Faith for a couple years. And one of my jobs was to help everybody get checked out of the dorm. And I was like last man out. That's how it worked. Everything had to be cleaned. Everything had to be out. And when it was all done, then I would walk through the rooms with the, the dean and make sure that there was, if there was damage, we had reported it. If there was something missing from the room, we had reported it. And it was the craziest thing. Every room pretty much looks the same. But I could still walk in, take a whiff of the room, and tell you exactly who lived in that room without knowing the number on the door, without knowing you know, where we were in the building. It was crazy. Why? And I'm not a dog, but um, especially in the guy's dorm maybe, a smell develops over the course of the year and you can sort of recognize it. But ask any one of those guys what their room smelled like and they wouldn't be able to tell you. Why? Because they live in it. They smell it every day. They walk into their own room, they don't notice a thing. Right? They don't notice a thing. Because when we're in it all the time, we grow blind to these things. Uh, And of course, this is all pre-COVID too. So it wasn't about losing our sense of smell either. Uh, This was, uh, you know, just the nature of things. We get used to that kind of thing. So too with lack of love. So here's some things he points out. Number one, disunity. Disunity. Unity is not the product of sameness. Sometimes what we demand in our marriages is that we just are the same in everything. He makes an interesting statement, which we'll discuss at the end here in in small groups, but he says, unity results when love intersects with difference. So the goal of a marriage is not that a husband and wife are exactly the same in everything. So I'm a Bears fan, Carrie was not a fan of anything coming into my marriage, right? So let's say we get married and I'm saying, okay, well, we need unity here. You got to become a Bears fan. What if she had become a Packers fan, right? (laughs) Divorce. 
I mean, I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> right? So this is what we often want when we use the term unity. We want our spouse to come over here to where I am. But think about that. How does that potentially reveal self-love if that's how I define unity in our marriage? All I want is basically my spouse to become another version of me. And that's how I view unity. But he explains that unity is actually appreciating our differences, not demanding that she become a copy of me, but recognizing that, oh, I am not the pinnacle of God's creation and that maybe there's somebody else who has some really neat things going on. He uses the example of God having created both lilies and rocks, right? So I'm the rock in our relationship and carries the lily, and yet both have features that are praiseworthy, right? God created them both. Our God is a God who knows differences and values even differences between those things. And so in unity, we're not trying to make the other person the same as us. Love actually chooses to appreciate those differences. Now, both of us, hopefully, are seeking to change in the image of Christ, but there's just a subtle shift that can take place, and I can start to try to change her into the image of Lance, which is not helpful at all, right? So we appreciate the differences as we both become more like Christ. And that kind of disunity that doesn't appreciate the other person and is just frustrated all the time that they're not on the same page as me is a sign that there's a lack of love, not willing to take the time to celebrate the way the other person is. He puts it well on page 189. Uh, love prizes unity and is willing to make sacrifices to achieve it. Love turns difference into an opportunity to experience a deeper and fuller unity. Love isn't impatient. It does not walk away. It perseveres. Love stays active until what God has planned becomes your actual experience. Unity happens when love intersects with difference. Next one is misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. In communication, maybe you feel like you just can't ever quite uh, understand what each other's talking about. You can't, you know, one of you says one thing, you think you got it, but then you realize, oh, nope, that's not what they said. I thought it was this. And there's just these layers of miscommunication between you. Uh, so here's a question. How could misunderstanding in that way be a form of self-love, or, or a better, better way to put that, be a result of self-love. Any ideas? How might that kind of misunderstanding be the result of self-love? An unwillingness to see things from another's point of view. Yes. Trying to see their perspective. Correct. Unwillingness to see from others. My way of seeing is the only way. And if you, say, if you have a different way of looking at it, you're nuts. I'm not even going to consider a different viewpoint. Right, good. Other ideas? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not asking follow-up questions. Look, I got, I got a schedule to keep. If you can't be clear, that's your problem. I'm just going to go do my thing rather than patiently, wait, I don't, think I, I don't think I'm with you. Explain that one more time for me. I really want to understand. What did you mean by this? What time were you thinking? You know, those follow-up questions. Yeah, sacrifice to make sure we understand. Good. What else? Yeah, Rebecca. Yes, yes. So listening to respond rather than listening to understand or not listening at all, 
right? Just like, okay, I got stuff to get to. When are you going to finish rambling here, you know, and let's move on? Yeah, excellent. So both of those, very, very selfish. Yeah, Andrew. Kind of a funny example, but like trying to follow it, totally not the way that it was intended, because it was, that's not how we communicate. That's how, that's how you're supposed to communicate. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just having one way that you're set on communicating and just not being on the same page. Yeah, it requires flexibility, which is sacrifice, isn't it? To, to, to say, okay, I'll, I'll move towards you a little bit. You move towards me a little bit. We'll meet in the middle. Uh, love longs for the two of you to be on the same page. Love is willing to pay the daily sacrifice to reach real understanding. Love values the words of the other person. Love celebrates the process of understanding as much as the result. Love prizes a lifestyle of peace because it not only honors God, but honors the person that he designed to journey with you. Next one, separation. And this is, uh, this is not talking about like a step on the path to divorce. That's not what he means there. He's actually talking about two people living in the same home, reaching some kind of just coexistence. And so like we figured out a way to get along, uh, we'll stay out of each other's hair, uh, you know, create, you know, it's like, it's like masking tape lines around the house. This is your space. This is my space. You know, we just, as, as long as we, we've set up all of these guidelines, boundaries to stay out of each other's lives so that we can sort of exist in the same house. Uh, but again, that's not uh, an expression of love. This one's a little more obvious of them, maybe. That's an expression of self-love. The point is not to just not get in fights, the point is to love. The point is to have relationship. Love will find that kind of separation unacceptable and painful and seek closeness with the other person. Uh, love is willing to make the painful sacrifices that togetherness demands. Love is willing to uh, understand that cohabitation is a location, not a relational goal. Uh, love will not rest until we can rest in one another's arms and experience rest. So just this cold coexistence is not, is not love. It's the absence of love. Physical dysfunction. This one's not always obvious in a marriage, but self-love actually kills, well, it kills relationship, period, but it kills sexual intimacy as well uh, because it becomes about self rather than about serving the other. I really liked the way he quoted on this one on page 192. Love lives in awe of the holiness of the sexual relationship in a marriage. It finds joy in the other's comfort, satisfaction, and safety. Love finds more excitement with giving than receiving. Love sees sex as an act and celebration of the relationship of self-sacrificing love that marriage is all about. Love turns sexual difficulty into an occasion to give and share a deeper love. Love is willing to wait so that together you can be fulfilled. So again, this is another area where we can just kind of make it about self-love and grow blind to things that um, should not be happening, that are not loving. Conflict is another sign that there may be a lack of love. Uh, just a willingness to let conflict happen. And again, we don't always choose uh, to initially get into it, but we pretty much do choose to keep it going, right? Sometimes we don't realize we've, our, our voices are raised and we're getting into it, and then there's usually that moment of self-awareness, right? In that somewhere where it's like, oh, I'm upset, 
And we have a choice, right? I can either plot ahead and value winning this conflict, most of all, or I can pause and, well, love, right? And yield. He says it well. When you love someone, you're pained when things separate and divide you. Uh, When you love someone, you're willing to overlook minor weaknesses, irritations, and offenses because you do not want anything to interrupt your life together. When you love someone, real, lasting peace is more valuable to you than being right or being in control. When you love someone, you're willing to forgive, serve, wait, listen, consider, examine yourself and your personal motives, and make personal sacrifices, all things that create and build peace in a relationship. If conflict between you and your spouse does not cause you grief, what is being exposed is a failure to love. So again, these are all signs that there's a lack of love. If these things have become normal, if these things have become acceptable, uh, it's a sign that we're really loving ourselves more than we're loving our spouse. He also mentions a number of what he calls faux loves uh, in the chapter. Uh, and these might afflict us more at the you know, beginning of a relationship when it's starting. Um, so here's where I want to be careful. As he talks about these, he's sort of looking back to maybe how your relationship started and why you pursued this person. But I just want to be really clear about some, something. If you're married, then there's this really fun corollary truth that comes along with that, right? This is, this person you're married to, is God's person for you for life, His special gift to you. And I know we can all look back and think like, well, I, I made this choice and I popped the question and she said yes. And, you know, there's all these ways that we participated in that decision. Um, but we have to remember there's a sovereign God who is sovereign over all of those choices along the way as well. And so there's, there's beauty in knowing the, you know, the person next to you, your spouse, is God's gift to you. And that's special. And even if you look back and you're like, ooh, but I made this mistake and ooh, that wasn't good or we got into this for the wrong reasons, it doesn't mean that the marriage is a mistake. It doesn't mean that this person next to you is that you chose the wrong one or something like that, right? Because God is bigger than those things. However... If some of these things, these faux loves, were there from the beginning, it's possible that they're still there in some ways. And so in that regard, it's good to look out for them. So the first is physical attraction. This is a common one as couples first come together. Maybe it's even the first thing that grabs your attention when you first see that girl or first lay eyes on that guy and you're interested in them. Uh, You're attracted to them. And that's not a wrong thing. That's not a sinful thing in and of itself. But if it stays there... Who are you really loving if you really just are loving the way they look? You're really loving yourself, right? Because you really love just looking at them and being able to see them. Or maybe you just want to add them to your life to make your life more beautiful, right? And again, it's not wrong for a wife to do that, right? Carrie absolutely makes my life more beautiful, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But if that's what it's all about to me is physical attraction, then what it shows is I'm really just caring about me and I want to add this beautiful thing to my life. It objectifies the other person rather than sacrificing for their good. Uh, Another one he mentions is emotional connection. 
We really like a person because they're just on the same page with us emotionally. They understand me. When I'm down, they know how to encourage me. When I'm up, they know how to celebrate with me. They get me, you know. And so there's this emotional connection we have. Um, But who are we really loving if that's what we love about the other person? I really just love the emotional support I'm getting from this person. I really just love the feeling of connection with them, that I'm understood, right? Those are all just forms of self-love. I'm being listened to, right? I'm being heard, all these things. It's like, well, I'm just really valuing what I'm getting from them as opposed to just sacrificing for their good. Spiritual unity. This is an interesting one. Oops, sorry. Number three, spiritual unity. Uh, Again, this can often be true early on, but um, couples can get into a relationship because they're just both really spiritually committed. And so what the guy appreciates about the girl is that she's just, she's ministry-minded, right? And so they're headed to the same same thing. Well, what's happening there is that it's just like, she's just going to fit really well into my life because, you know, she's got the same spiritual mindset that I have. Uh, But then when there comes a point where she sins or he sins and suddenly they're not at the same spiritual level any longer, that kind of self-love, they match me spiritually, really breaks down because now one of them has to sacrifice for the good of the other, to be patient, to listen, to help the other walk through sin, to show humility through that process, right? So even spiritual unity can become this source of self-love where I like that this person fits me and my life and what I want for us and so on and so forth. Number four, this is the last one, cultural continuity. They view the world the same way that I do. They agree that the toilet paper should roll from the top. You know, they, they squeeze their toothpaste the same way that I do. Okay, those, those are very minor cultural differences, but they expand from there. Right? Their, their family likes to celebrate Christmas the same way that I grew up doing it. Or uh, we're on the same page uh, about our political views. Or I mean, there's any number of cultural examples that you could choose. Um, but all of those things can just be this form of self-love. Now, again, I'm not criticizing what can be some helpful markers for compatibility, um, things like that in marriage as you're looking for a spouse. And again, you, know, you all are not looking for a spouse, right? You're married. So, um, but the whole point of this is not to go back and like second guess why we got together. Oh, no, that I want the wrong things. Well, the point is when it comes to marriage, just guard yourself against being overly excited about what you get from that person. Now, sure, as you're blessed and as you're encouraged and so forth, give thanks to God. But remember that those things are not things you deserve, right? God's placed you in this relationship in a 1 John 3.16 kind of way that because Jesus laid down his life for you, you now have the opportunity to lay down your life for this person. And that's your whole task in marriage. That's it. You get to display what Jesus is like by laying down your life for your spouse in all the details. And thankfully, the actual laying down of your life happens very rarely in marriages. That may happen to you. probably won't happen to you. And so it's all sorts of smaller, little, tiny things in the details 
when God wants you to show what Jesus' love is like by sacrificing something in your world for the good of the other person. I don't feel like listening to my spouse right now, but she wants to talk, and so I'll pause, and so I'll listen, because this is how Jesus treats me, right? In the details, learning to love with sacrifice. He ends the chapter with a story about Chris and Sarah, which is um, enlightening. Those stories are really helpful. They kind of bring to life some of the principles that he's talking about. And so I'd encourage you to uh, read through that at some point. Um, but in their relationship, they got into it on the wrong feet. You know, they were kind of just about themselves. Uh, Sarah was excited about what Chris added to her life. Chris was excited about what Sarah added to his life. And as a result, they really never had learned to give sacrificial love to one another. And so they grew apart and apart and apart. And uh, he shares the story of his counseling with them. And the turning point one was when they realized they'd been loving themselves rather than loving their spouse. And so he closes with this quote, and I thought it was helpful. Could it be that God is bringing you, like Chris and Sarah, to the end of yourselves so that you will look at yourselves with new eyes and seek the help that only God can give? Could it be that a brand new commitment in love is what is needed for you to experience a brand new beginning in your marriage? And that's on page 204. Now, there are three discussion questions there at the bottom of your notes. And again, just gather with a few people nearby and uh, discuss those questions with each other that sort of dig into um, what love is and how we pursue love in our relationships. And next week, we'll dig further into um, what love looks like. So sort of the positive side of this, how we show love to our spouse um, how we show what Christ's love is like on a regular basis. So find someone you can meet with, go through those three questions, and then when you're done, uh, we'll be dismissed. So thanks for your attention tonight.